The sheep industry in Queensland began in 1840 when the pioneer and grazier Patrick Leslie drove a flock of 6,000 sheep to the Darling Downs. From then on, pastoralists prospered from the rich grazing land throughout the western regions and established one of the most successful industries for the state. Queensland was well and truly riding the sheep's back, reaching its peak in the 1940s with 25 million sheep roaming the state. Unfortunately, the wool industry in Queensland today is much smaller than in its prime in the 40s, but in the past few years there has been a sense of renewed confidence in the state's sheep and wool industry, despite the current drought holding back sheep numbers and wool production. You're listening to The Yarn, a podcast for and about the Australian wool industry. I'm Ellie Bigwood and here with me today is Henry Ridge, the coordinator of the AWI Grower Networks. Henry, just quickly for any listeners who may not be aware, what are the grower networks and how can they assist wool growers? Hi Ellie, thank you. Yeah, the AWI's extension or grower networks are, uh, well there's six of them firstly, uh, each wool growing state in Australia and um, they're a collaboration at times but, but mostly AWI funded and grower networks are AWI's uh, extension platforms so that's for delivery of communication and best practice events. Uh, so the sorts of things you, you get at the networks, you, you can go along to an event and you can learn about what technology is out there or, or it can be a practice change uh, event where, you, where you're learning things you can implement on farm to uh, increase your performance or productivity. And so if you're a wool grower and you've got ideas about practice change and opportunities, you could always put that forward to the grower networks and encourage that kind of collaboration? For sure, that's how the, uh, the networks are established with a producer advisory panel. So. Each year we create an operational plan and we, we do that with the producer advisory panel who have consulted in the lead up to that of priority areas of, for education and extension in, in their state and, and down to the regional level. So it's, it's getting that input from themselves and, and of course any input from any other stakeholders, not just growers out there, there's ways to collaborate and priority areas that uh, might be able to, to work towards in the future. This week on The Yarn, we're focusing on Queensland. Henry, through your work with AWI's grower networks across Australia, you've covered a lot of remote ground, particularly in Queensland. How are things looking on the ground in the sheep country over there? I love getting up to Queensland, Ellie. I I love the country and I love the people. So I I have been about a few places there. We we drove from uh, Cunnamulla to Longreach in October last year and... I haven't been up there yet this year, but I, I, I understand that uh, there has been rain about, but not everywhere, and especially the southwest, which has had you know, tough years of late. Is, uh, well, the Warrego, of course, has gone through, but if you haven't got the Warrego and the rain, you're doing it pretty tough. But look, Queensland's got its challenges, and, and not just for Queensland itself, but you know, there's things like infrastructure and as skills, and, um, and you know, if you're trying to get back into sheep, finding them at the moment with drought through New South Wales and... Uh, many parts of the eastern states is proving a difficulty and of course the the wild dogs but they've been fairly well mitigated of late by those that are fortunate enough to be able to put up a fence and some great results coming out of those and and hopefully the rain's there to follow through but um, obviously coming into winter it's it's going to be a tough few months there if it there isn't a quick break through that but um, you know hopefully a big summer next year if not. Yeah we're certainly seeing a lot of revived interest in sheep and wool and investments in infrastructure for running sheep which is fantastic you mentioned infrastructure like the wild dog exclusion fences being from a merino farm yourself in burke new south wales where wild dogs pose a real threat to animal welfare 
How has exclusion fencing helped your family's operation? Yeah, well, we're, we're in the process of putting it up, but for us it was a, it was a no-brainer. The results and conversations coming out of Queensland, um, we're lucky enough to get the opportunity to put the fence up. Uh, we have been getting wild dogs over the last decade or so, and, and I don't think that problem's going away for Western New South Wales. So, you know, my older brother and my parents are still at home, so they've been slogging away trying to get that fence up, and and uh, well, hopefully we, we see the results when we do. Worthwhile investment for sure. That's fantastic to hear. We travelled to Queensland to speak with Alicia Bennett, Karen Huskisson and Andrea McKenzie to get a little bit more insight on the ground conditions out there and also to hear more about Leading Sheep Queensland, AWI's grower network in the state, which Andrea McKenzie coordinates. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. How's things looking at home? Well, uh, still a bit dismal actually because we haven't had any rain yet not like the west or the north. Uh, so hopefully tonight we'll get some rain. That's what's forecast. It's been a very long, long wait for you, hasn't it? Yeah, long wait, a lot of feeding, a lot of destocking, and um, people are down to bare minimum at the moment. Yeah. And what about uh, the the, uh, the state of stock in your region? Uh, the stock are very good, very strong, um, you know, like everybody's on board, feeding very well and really looking after their stock. So they're, they're very strong, very forward, and they'll respond very quickly once it rains. How do people stay upbeat uh, throughout years of drought, which you guys have been through? How, how does it... I mean, it takes a mental toll too, surely? Yeah, it does. It takes a huge mental toll. I have a saying that um, every morning I get up and go, wow... I'm alive, put your big girl pants on and away you go. And, um, and you take each day as it comes. It's um, just, you just keep doing what you know that you can do the best. And farmers do do things the best when it comes to the land. And um, I think you just have to have positivity in your thought that what you're doing is the best that you can possibly do at the time. Now, uh, in Queensland, of course, one of the defining features of Queensland um, sheep industry um, in recent years has been the, the wild dog issue and there's been a huge amount of exclusion fencing but also you've uh, got a bit of a secret weapon on your side with your Marama dogs. Tell us a little bit about uh, how the role they play in your pl- at your place. Yeah, they're vitally important um, on our place. Uh, about 20 years ago we got um, wild dogs came in, hadn't been there in my father's entire life so we'd never had, and my dad's well in his 80s now, so we hadn't had wild dogs. But they came in and wiped out um, nearly all our maiden news. And, and then I got onto the Maramas, didn't know anything because there was no one there to tell me what to do. Mm. These are a guard dog. These are yeah. the beautiful white fluffy guard dogs that um, guard the sheep. And basically we have just used them for the last 20 years and they're amazing and I still take my hat off to them. We don't have any exclusion fencing as such. We do have electric fencing on our um, major predation side of our property where the dogs do come from. And But the Maramas have just been miraculous in that fact that they've kept them out. Are they keeping the dogs at bay outside your mm. place? Are that the, the numbers still building up outside? Or do you think they... How are you reading it from a regional point of view? Um, well? No, they're definitely keeping them at bay. We've even seen dog tracks on our boundary fence where the dogs have been going up and down our boundary on the outside, the wild dogs. 
and the Marama's <laughs> footprints are on the inside. That's on our electric fence. So they're there just waiting for the opportunity to come in. And so uh, does this mean you don't need exclusion fencing? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, that's I've got all my exclusion fencing, a lot of wire that I have bought. I'm just waiting for my fencer who is um, inundated with um, fencing contracts that he's got to do. So I'm just waiting in line until he can get there. Yeah, well, the, the exclusion fencing, I think for people uh, in southern Australia, have no idea of the incredible investment and commitment people have put into fencing. Um, I don't know if Alicia or Karen want to... Um, uh, sorry, oh, Andrew want to step into this, but to, get, to give us a sense of how big uh, and how much investment people have put into exclusion fencing. So you're looking at around um, six to $8,000 a kilometre when it comes to putting in exclusion fences, and that includes your labour and your uh, materials. So it's, it's a pretty big outlay, yeah. Well, we're not talking a few kilometres here. No, uh, what would be a typical property that would have to fence? Uh, anywhere between 20 and 100 kilometres, depending on the size of the property, yeah, or the size of the cluster as well. Mm. So we're talking sort of up, up to hundreds of thousands of dollars that have been spent by some individual farmers just to fence their place? Oh, absolutely, yeah. In, in our country, we budget on $10,000 a kilometre because we've got Brigolo country, which is very undulating, and, and the biggest cost is in your, your groundworks before you even start erecting your fence to get that groundwork quite smooth and level. So, you know, as, as it's in the West, it's probably not as much groundwork. Um, so, yeah, but huge. So uh, those that have fenced, and the fencing's been going for a few years now, how is it uh, going? Has it changed the way they farm? Um, changed the way they farm, changed their stocking rate and increased their lambing percentages in some places by 60 to 80%, which is huge. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't take long to start to pay it off with that no. sort of return. You know, even just with wool clip um, alone, not even on breeding, just wool clip alone, mm. you would pay that off quite quickly. Now, Alice, you're, you're from Longreach. Um, tell us a bit about how things are at Longreach. Um, so there's a bit of excitement in Longreach at the moment. Um, people around town have, well, around Longreach and surrounds have received quite a bit of rain over the last week. Um, falls of up to um, 230 um, millimetres of rain down Stonehenge Way, which is pretty fantastic, um, considering there had been hardly any leading up to that. Um, definitely not drought breaking, but it is a bit of a relief for producers around the Longreach area. Um, it gives them a bit of a chance to rebuild and um, start looking at um, regenerating their um, grazing country. Yeah. Tell us a bit about your story because you've come to the wool industry from an interesting point of view too. Yeah, so I'm, I grew up in Brisbane. Um, I went to an agricultural school that's um, 20 minutes south of Brisbane, so from where we are now. Um, and from there I went out to the Longreach Partial College to try and get into sheep and wool and from there um, the sheep and wool industry sort of sucked me in a bit um, you know they said here's a young person who's keen in the sheep and wool industry and um, you know come work here or I was given quite a few opportunities to get involved in the sheep and wool industry from being a young person from the city yeah and so and what about now I'm probably what, not what, now. I'm still working on a cattle place. <laughs> <laughs> but do you still have the? Do you still have the? You still have the love 
for the sheep and wool industry. And it sounds like you're just waiting for the opportunity to, to find some sheep and wool somewhere. Absolutely, yeah. So at the moment I'm working on a cattle station, but that's not to say that I'm exiting the sheep and wool industry entirely. Um, mostly waiting for the rebuild of the sheep and wool industry out in Western Queensland so that I can again become involved in whatever capacity is there once um, the rebuild does happen, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a good cross uh, now into Andrea McKenzie from uh, who runs Leading Sheep here in Queensland. How are you reading things uh, in terms of the, the current state of the Queensland sheep industry? Well, it has certainly been uh, a, a tough time for the industry lately. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit like Alicia. I have come from the city originally, um, and so I've been coming out west really for the last seven odd years so I'm yet to see a really cracking season uh, but I can't wait um, it's really nice to see the long range guys getting some rain so hopefully there's more more around for everyone else soon uh, but it's, a, it's amazing how uh, resilient producers are I know that word gets tossed around a lot but um, exactly what Karen said they take every day as it is and just really constantly striving to do the best they can despite whatever life throws at them and what role does Leading Sheep have in that? So Leading Sheep is uh, a network of producers, really, um, and it's it's got a lot of grassroots um, input, so a lot of input from producers to provide the best information to the industry on best practice, new research, and uh, exciting or, or new things that are happening in the industry. And you're a vet, so you've come to this from a different point of view as well. Yeah, it's, it's a useful set of skills um, to bring in as just as a different different perspective to the team. Uh, but we have quite a, quite a breadth of skills in our team. We have some um, agribusiness backgrounds, we have some marketing backgrounds, um, and yeah, a lot, of, a lot of knowledge in the team itself. So um, Karen, as someone who's on the, on the PAP as a producer, what, uh, what can producers really gain out of joining Leading Sheep and how are you helping to direct that? What are your passions for it? Uh, well, my passion's wild dogs, so I won't be shy about that. But um, really, leading sheep is a catalyst to disseminate the information that's really crucial for producers. And if you need to know something, um, there's often a podcast or someone within the leading sheep organisation that can help you or direct you or have similar experiences or whatever. So it's a really good stepping stone to feed into leading sheep and gain information from it and for new people stepping into the industry it is just a minefield of information mm. that would really help people you know get started because there's a lot of people out there that are starting with sheep that have fenced and starting with sheep that probably haven't got much of an idea or don't have um, the older generation there to actually help them with that information so it's a great place to start. So for example if you you had um 100 to 200 millimetres in the next uh, few weeks. Um, let's hope that that happens. What, how does it look on your place and how do you, how do you see your uh, flock rebuilding? Because it's not like a, a crop of wheat that you just plant and grow. I mean, it takes a long time to recover. How are you planning your recovery? Um, well, I've actually got sheep for sale, so um, hopefully I'll be able to sell those really soon. But pre-now, if it doesn't rain, um, I won't be joining all my sheep, uh, so that's not a big rebuild focus in that sense, but it's more a survivability and um, making the sheep survive as best I can. But if it rains and we get 100 mil, we'll get a lot of herbage, 
which is fantastic sheep feed, and that will see me right through to probably about November. Um, so we'll be joining everything, and um, our property does respond quite quickly once we do get the rain. So that's, um, yeah, really looking forward to it. So this um, concept of uh, drought management or poor seasonal management around um, having a cent- trigger points uh, through a season and through years, is that something that Leading Sheep is uh, looking at developing, Andrew? Yeah, so there's, there's quite a lot of information out there about that already. Um, some of the MLA EDGE packages cover um, some decision date type things, but it's... There's definitely scope to to help interpret that in a more regional sense um, and build our own uh, our own skills um, with producers in in terms of deciding what those important dates are and, and being accountable to sticking to those dates when making decisions. It must be hard to do because every region's so different and everyone's risk capacity is different as well in a way. So how do you personalise it and regionalise that that sort of information? There's a, a lot of um, input from producers. There's so much, um, so many producers that have managed the droughts very well, considering. And I think there's a lot of input that we can get from people um, that, in, in terms of what they're already doing. Karen, do you think our approach to dry seasons and drought has changed over the um, over the years? Yeah. Yes. Possibly. In in the sense that now we have um, the transport and and the whole system of uh, buying feed and being able to procure feed in a drought has opened up because, you know, we can even get it from Western Australia if we have to. And feed storage opportunities are a lot greater than if you go back 50 years and that sort of thing. So there's a lot that we can do in preparedness for drought and there's a lot that you can do on your own place to prepare for drought. And I know we we try to take that approach and we have a lot of feed. When, when we're not in drought, we store feed. We stock up, you know, everything's full as possibly we can get it. Tell us a bit more about Leading Sheep, Andrew. Uh, so there's, there's lots of things that Leading Sheep do, so keep an eye out um, for any events in your area, and the best way to keep up to date with that sort of thing is to subscribe to our mailing list, um, so head to leadingsheep.com.au and you can subscribe there. Um, and we also have a Facebook page um, that's, that's really good to keep up to date with information as well. Um, we run a lot of webinars to keep it nice and convenient for you, and those recordings go up on the Leading Sheep website as well. So. What are the webinars about generally? It can be anything. Um, most recently, we had a webinar on weaning in dry times, um, so that's a particularly relevant one still. But yeah, it can be anything from business management through to grazing land management. Thanks for having a yarn with us. Pleasure. That was AWI's Marius Cumming, speaking with Alicia Bennett, Karen Huskisson and Andrea McKenzie, three incredibly passionate women making impacts in the sheep and wool industry, particularly in Queensland. Just finally, I'm going to hand over to you, Henry, for your advice on how to get in contact with and get involved with AWI's grower networks. Yeah, thanks, Ellie. I'd just firstly, I was hoping that Marius had asked Karen about her dog that is able to smell flyby on sheep and um, single them out in the paddock. I think that's absolutely brilliant. But uh, look, wonderful people and, and putting up their time and uh, for the producer advisory panel in Queensland, it's highly valued insight for the Extension Network and AWI. 
So thank you to them for, for what they do and Andrea for coordinating the network. And look, if you want to get in touch, or there's the producer advisory panel members if you wanted to talk, talk to them and pass in to the network and the operations in that way. If you wanted to get involved, there's events and a newsletter which, which highlight these coming from the network leading sheep. There's a few places you can get in touch. So if you're listening and you're not in Queensland, you can go to AWI's website where we have our growing networks are all listed there. Simply for the Queenslanders, you can uh, Google leading sheep or go to the AWI website and it'll, it'll, it'll pretty well come in front of you there. Well, that's a wrap, folks. Henry, thank you for spinning yarns with us today. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks for the debut. If you've got feedback or, more importantly, a burning wool question that you'd like us to answer, send it through to theyarn at wool.com and we will get back to you. I'm Ellie Bigwood and that was Henry Ridge. We'll see you soon to spin some more yarns.